I am starting the recording. So, Rocco, I think we're just going to have to go with the ridiculous gaps on the sides. I think the ridiculous gaps on the sides are just going to have to be there. Now, let me ask you, are the ridiculous gaps evenly spaced, or are they ridiculously uneven gaps? Well, I have tried to evenly space the ridiculous gaps, but (laughs) I don't know if it's going to work out. You know what? I think the whole situation's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that there's no better option. Well, here's what I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on the viewers to say... Why do you guys have such ridiculous gaps on each side? The gaps are ridiculous. I don't know why they wouldn't say that, Rob. This whole thing's ridiculous. It's just it's freaking ridiculous. We better start the show. All right, let's start the show. Hello, Linux fans, and welcome to another episode of Destination Linux, where we cover Linux news, reviews, and anything else that may be fun or interesting in the Linux world. I'm Rob. And I'm Rocco. And this is episode 11 of Destination Linux. Hi, Rob. What's going on? How are you, Rocco? Man, I'll tell you what. I'm pulling my hair out, buddy. This this whole technical difficulty thing with our uh, podcast and everything. Who would have thought, Rocco, that it would be so difficult to find a high-quality side-by-side video conferencing tool online in 2017? Rob, it is almost impossible to find something that fits your needs. There's all of the sites that have a side-by-side video chat are either out of business or don't don't give you the options that you really need to set it up the way you want. And it's very, very, very frustrating. Well, we're both going to be on our soapbox here early because we've looked at Jitsi. We've looked at the new Skype beta, uh, which, by the way, is kind of nice with UI and everything. We've looked at... A multitude of just you know online um, paid and free uh, paid would be better um, but none of them really or few of them offer really what we need which is side-by-side video conferencing so we can set it up like we've had in the past and you may be asking yourself well why don't you continue to use what you were using before and it's simply that the quality of that is just getting worse and worse well our connections to that site specifically are to the point where there are times throughout the video and the audio in general that it's unusable. There's just right. there's parts of it that you just can't use. And you you want to have a high-quality audio. You want to have a high-quality video. And it's just harder and harder to find something. And we've tried, as you said, tons of different websites. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've probably – how long have we been doing this for the – past two hours now, Rob? Yes, that's exactly right. So we're going to give a shout out or a request out to uh, anyone who knows of a very high quality conferencing tool or piece of software we need to look at that would allow you to be side by side. That's that's all we're asking for is good (laughs) quality and side by side uh, picture um, or video rather. So, um, we're, we're open to it. Yes, we're definitely open to suggestions. So please, if you know of anything, let us know. 
Yeah, that that would be great. So we'll step down off of our soapbox. It's just been a little frustrating. And so, of course, uh, if you're watching this now, you're looking and you're like, hey, wow, you're you guys are frozen. You're frozen in time there. It's it's uh, it's because we just couldn't simply get the video pulled together. So technical difficulties. All right. Enough of the technical difficulties, Rob. Let's move on to something that's a little happier. Yes. Do we got news, Rob? Do we got any kind of Linux news? Well, I got to tell you, this week there was lots of news. Uh, So we're going to cover some news. We're going to cover some DistroWatch updates. Uh, Looks like there's several things released in DistroWatch, so we'll take a look at that. And, Rocco, let's not forget the YouTube corner. So uh, lots to cover there. So let's jump in. I'm going to kick it off here with a little bit of GNOME news. So there is now a uh, Beta 2 release, and... um, that or excuse me, a beta release, not beta two release, and that is uh, for version three point two four. And so basically, here there's not you know earth shattering changes or things that are you know drastically going to be different within the UI. There are fixes for the keyboard navigation in I have known uh, settings improvements for Epiphany, um, you know things like JavaScript features. GNOME calendar improvements, improvements to the GNOME control center, um, Wayland support for uh, Wacom is is coming. And so this beta release is going to be frozen in. And then we're looking at, uh, actually, we're looking at, no, I'm sorry, let me back up. That is a beta 2 release. Uh, we're looking at that to be frozen now for the final release, which will come March 15th. So while this isn't, again, earth-shattering as far as, you know, changes and drastic UI fixes or, or additions or anything like that, it's good to see so, some momentum there because you compare what's going on with GNOME to KDE, Rocco, uh, you know, it's like GNOME sitting still at times. Well, GNOME is not sitting still, but they're definitely not on the same pace as KDE. So speaking of KDE, Rob, there's a uh, minor changes going on. Now, 5.9.3 has already been released, and I'm happy to say that it's a little bit more stable now than 5.9.2. But uh, looking ahead for 5.10, so there's a new feature going to be coming in. In Plasma 5 in general, they had the default desktop view as a static page, a static desktop where there was no icons. But in 5.10, they're going to change that, and they're going to actually make it so that the folder view is the default view in 5.10. Along with the spring loading is what they're calling it, a a little feature that you can, when you're dragging folders from the desktop onto another folder, it will actually open up a pop-up window and show you the contents of that folder. And then you can hover over the next folder inside of that, and it will continually show you pop-ups to allow you to put that folder where you want. Nice. Dragging and dropping. Nice. I like that. It is. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a nice little feature. Not nothing earth shattering, but definitely another added feature that's awesome. Um, They're making improvements to the actual code. So of 5.10 for um, dragging and dropping. And they are, they actually gave it a performance boost by cleaning up the code. So by, I guess it's beta will be May 11th. Okay. And the release will be around May 30th for 5.10. So it's definitely uh, continuing on in the uh, 
the exciting new features. Rocco, did you read anything in there about sound settings by any chance? Rob, I was very disappointed to hear that there were, or to not hear about sound settings changes in KDE. All right. I guess KDE's <laughs> not listening to Destination Linux. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we've got some other good news, man. So if you're running a uh, an Intel Cabby Lake CPU with Linux, um, there's a chance you've not been getting your money's worth. But kernel 4.10 patches a bug that might tweak out or eke out a little extra performance in the Cabby Lake CPU. So that's good news. Well, speaking of CPUs, Rob, we talked about AMD Ryzen last week. Yes. And uh, that released on March 2nd. And, you know, I mean, I think the, I think the current uh, status is the AMD stocks are down 13%. Uh, because, you know, the CPUs came out, and they came out with a lot of hype, and yep. I guess they're not meeting up to the hype. It was overhype. Right. So, That's I mean, they're definitely like. good CPUs. They're just not as good as the hype was put out there as. So you have uh, different benchmarks, and you're going to read, I mean, I have read tons of different benchmarks all around the web, and they're all different, but the general consensus is for running things like, say, compiling a kernel. Um, the AMD Ryzen comes out on top of... Now, they compared it to a 3770 i7, which I would think they would have wanted it to compare it to the 6900, mm -hmm. but they compared it to this 3770, and it was... The Ryzen came out within 80 seconds, and the... Um, the i7 came out in 148. So it's definitely faster in certain applications. Right. But in the gaming performance, Rob, it was kind of lacking. Yep. I read an article myself uh, where um, the author compared it to a five-year-old system uh, on the gaming side of things. And his statement was, uh, let this be a lesson not to pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised at the amount of people that pre-ordered and bought it as soon as it came out. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but but you said something, you know, when we first talked about this, you said something that still matters, and that is cost. Definitely is a, a good buy for the cost if you're running it for specific applications or, or, or a specific application. Right. Now, if you're running it for a gaming computer, there's nothing wrong with the frames per second that it gives to games. It's just not up to par to their hype. Okay, so at certain games, they're 50, 75 FPS lower than the i7. And that's just not, I mean, anybody that runs a game is not going to want to give up 75 FPS, I can tell you that. No, not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, it's, well, you know, and I don't want to overstate that it was overhyped, but that's what it's looking like. Go ahead, it Rob. It was overhyped. <laughs> it was overhyped. <laughs> well, and, speaking of games, Rob... Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I interrupted no, you. Go ahead. I, no, no, no. I was just going to say, and, and again, though, if I were building a system today and I, you know, I wasn't focused on gaming, I would certainly look at that processor uh, from a cost standpoint because you're talking, in some cases, almost 50% less. So, um, you know, there, there would certainly be consideration there. Yep. It's definitely got its place. Uh, it's just not at the top of the game. That's all. Yeah. 
yep. game, no pun intended. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Speaking of games, Rob, we have Dirt Rally being released on Linux. Another, nice. Another high-quality game being released on Linux, and it has some has some pretty cool um, features to the game. It also can it also runs pretty decent on Linux, uh, comparable to Windows. And if you want it, I will put the link in the description. Although it is a paid game, you know, I think it's fifty nine ninety nine if you're looking Isn't to it? get it. Okay. But um, it's definitely looks like a looks like an awesome game to try. Yeah, I would. You know, here's the thing: we've talked about this numerous times, and I think we're actually going to get into a little more discussion about that. But that is something you hear a cry for. Um, anytime there's a discussion about, you know, why I don't use Linux, and that's the gaming side of things. Uh, so it's certainly so good to see that coming to Linux. Uh, but the game itself, I think, have you played it? I have not played it, but I just okay. wanted to let you know that the minimum requirements are an i3 and 8 gigabytes of RAM. The recommended requirements are an i7, 4770, 8 gigabytes of RAM, okay. and, a, and a 970 graphics card. So ah. it's it's definitely not for an older system. So this, but no. what I what that all means is it's a it's going to be a high quality game. It's not going to be a uh, you know a a, a lackluster game in yeah. any way. Well, that's good. It's good to see high quality and like on the gaming side coming to Linux for sure. So. Okay, Rob, what do you think about a Mac killer or a MacBook killer system? I love it. I love I love the thought behind that. And when you say Mac, well, here's the thing. Well, are you saying that from a hardware perspective, Rocco? A hardware perspective, Rob. Okay. Yeah, I love it. So System76, our open source computer guys, have are, are going to release a laptop called... And I don't mind, man, I'm going to butcher this name. Lago? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fitting, Rocco. I mean, just, you just let's just come out with a name that no one can really <laughs> pronounce or is sure how it needs to be pronounced. And that's just perfect for Linux. <laughs> it just keeps happening over and over. I mean, can't we just come out with a laptop named Fred? You know what I mean, <laughs> like right. something easy to pronounce. Or, or you know, the... Uh, or the uh, AU thirty seven or something, you know, there. that you can, yeah. So no, we got to come out with the Galago Pro. I guess that's how you say it. I don't know if, if there's a better way to say it. You know, let us know. So t- I'm sure. Tell me more, man. <laughs> tell me more. Well, you can get it. Uh, it does have the Cabby Lake processors, um, the i five or the i seven. You can get it up configured up to thirty two gigabytes of RAM. It has an SD uh, SD card slot, two USB three point slots a single USB-C port, and separate microphone and audio jacks. And Rob, you'll like this one. It has a full-size HDMI and a mini display port included. Nice. I have got to check that out. I haven't even looked at it yet. And from time to time, I'll browse over to the System76 website just to kind of see what they've come, you know, they have uh, coming. So I'll definitely check this one out. And, you know, System 76, for the most part, I, all I will say is that anytime I hear uh, anyone reviewing any of their systems, uh, it's been positive. I'm going to say overwhelmingly positive. 
Um, and so I, that by any chance, and again, I haven't read through this yet, Rocco, but does this have like an all aluminum body or anything like that? Well, let me see here. It has a 13 and a half inch high DPI IPS display. It weighs yep. under a pound. Oh, wow. Um, I don't see it. Maybe it's somewhere, but I don't see whether it's an all aluminum body or not. I'll but check it out. I'll check it out. Before you, uh, check it out, it is eight ninety nine to start out with and it will be available in april so nice yeah i think that's certainly one to look at now i currently do not need a laptop but i'm looking for an excuse you know what i'm saying (laughs) well i'm reading here rob it says uh but unlike many of aluminum laptops you won't sacrifice upgradability so i would assume that it maybe i missed it earlier in the article okay all right. Man, have you ever heard of a, a company called Mozilla? Hmm. They, they make, make obscure f- web browsers, things like that. Email clients that are not yeah. supported anymore. Yeah, yeah things like that. <laughs> well, we've got a little bit of Mozilla news. They have purchased Pocket. And, um, you know, for the most part, you'll know Pocket by the little icon that by, by default, every time I've installed Firefox, is up in the upper right-hand corner. And, uh, yep, you've seen it there. And, uh, actually they've, uh, uh, the, the company behind pocket is called read it later, which is very fitting. And, uh, you know, it's a save for later service. Coffee, bro. Oh, that would be great. Thank you, sir. Smells so fresh, Rocco. Well, it was two hours ago. It was fresh, <laughs> <laughs> but I keep it hot anyway. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, Mozilla's pocket focus will be promoting the discovery and accessibility of high quality web content. So uh, I'm sure they're going to take pockets technology and use probably some of the data that they've received through pocket over the years. I mean, let's face it. (laughs) I used uh, read it later a long time ago when it first started out. And then I guess if I remember correctly, read it later was acquired by pocket. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. And then, um, and then you know, you had the latest. One of the fiascos was that uh, you know Firefox included it by default, and there were right. a lot of people upset about that. But uh, hey, I think it's a good idea for Mozilla anyway to acquire it and build it in. But I, you got you're going to have people that don't want it. Let's put it that way. Well, that's true. And and then you know, at some point they could down the road come out with a premium pocket premium or something like that, and. Um, you know, there's oftentimes you'll see where one tech company has purchased something that you step back and you go, really? Why would you want to spend $1.3 million on that? Um, sometimes that works out, and then sometimes you just never hear about, you know, that particular small piece of software or whatever it was ever again. Uh, and you sometimes shake your head and you wonder, wow, did did they just need some underlying bit of code there that they couldn't get any other way, you know, or maybe the Uh, resources or the resources or the, yeah, or the talent behind it. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. So also a little bit of news with wine and I'm not talking about red or white here, Rocco. You're not. No, I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm talking about that piece of software that lets you run those crappy windows programs. If you have to, right. Is that a yes, political them, them crappy Windows programs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's an so, inside joke to that, just so you know. 
Yes, there is. Yes, there is. So the wine development team announced today the release of Wine 1.8.7, and uh, it's going to be the last maintenance update to the Wine Point or one to the Wine. Easy for me to say the Wine 1.8 Stable Series. So uh, this will be the final release, and then they'll uh, move from that right on over to Wine 2.0 release. Okay. So I already have Wine 2.0 installed. What about you? I do not. I'm not running any of that crappy Windows software. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll just move on from there. Anything else in the news, Rob? No, that about covers it in the news, I think. All right. Um, News. Okay. So what's going on with this drill watch, Rob? Well, you know, for the past, I don't know what, two, three past episodes, there just hasn't been, there's been a few releases. I don't want to knock anybody short or anything like that, but, you know, some of the more well-known distros, just you haven't seen much going on there. And that has changed, my friend. Uh, We've got PC Linux OS has uh, released a new version of their rolling release distribution. This is version 2017.03. It's going to come with the Plasma Desktop 5.8.6 which is the long-term support branch, as well as kernel 4.9.13, updated software packages and several new applications. Uh, You've got Linux from scratch uh, with uh, 8.0. You've got Deepin 15.4. And I want to talk about Deepin for just a minute here, Rocco. I saw the Deepin Desktop 15.4 release uh, through Manjaro. And uh, there was an update and bam, all the changes came over. And for me, it almost seems like a regression. It's, um, I don't know, I, I, from the UI standpoint, everything's flat. Uh, I just don't think it looks as modern as it used to. And I don't know if you've checked it out or not, but if you haven't, I would say give it a look. I'm sure you'll see some images uh, you know, online, the before and the after. Well, I'm sure uh, Linux and other stuff has done a video on it. So yep. I can go over yep. to his channel and check it out. But no, I haven't I haven't checked it out because I kind of stay away from deep in because of bad memories. Ah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay. Okay. But well, and back also, to PC Linux, though. Yeah. Did you do a review on PC Linux at all? I have not. What about yourself? I haven't. But something tells me that is that's not Ubuntu-based, right? I don't believe. I, I don't believe so. I think it was, I don't remember if it was RPM-based or, I forget what it was, but it was definitely not uh, the normal Ubuntu release. Right, right. And from the KDE standpoint, it might be something certainly you'd want to check out, you know? It may be. It may be. Um, it's been around a while, too, you know? There's, uh, this is not... You know, this is not a team that's, you know, just released something here. This uh, PC Linux OS has been around a while. So uh, another, uh, I guess you would say, more well-known distribution, Zorin OS, has released uh, 12.1. And I've actually run that for about four days now and uh, working on a video for that, review for that. And I'll tell you, Rocco, we were just discussing distributions that you would uh, maybe recommend for someone new to Linux, and I've got to add Zorin OS to that list. Well, it, I haven't actually uh, ran it for a period of time. I have installed it, checked it out, and I probably should have given it more time. But it was more, uh, I want to say, lockdown 
kind of like well, a elementary OS lockdown type thing. And you're right. It probably should be on the list for newer users. Well, I'll tell you what. So if you just... It's basically it's the the desktop is the gnome stack where they've gone in and they've tweaked you know the gnome stack and um, but with that said the initial layout is very very much reminiscent of Windows Seven so you'll have a panel at the bottom this is default now you'll have a panel at the bottom where you can add your icons to the panel and then they've tweaked the application menu to be as close to Windows Seven. I think, or, or Windows, uh, you know, probably Windows 7, Windows 10. But uh, what I found is, when you said it was locked down, it is just from the surface. But if you install the GNOME Tweak tool, now you've opened up the extensions and you've also opened up the ability to go in and basically, like you would with GNOME, uh, change things up quite a bit. Wow, I didn't realize that you could install the GNOME Tweak tool on Zorin. Yep, yep. So it's that right, would it's, open it up. That would open it up. It's right in the app center. Uh, did you quick try install. that yet? Um, I did. It, do the extensions function the way they're supposed to? I did. And I also noticed in doing that, what was interesting is in doing that, so before you could not tell exactly what themes and things were in place or what extensions exactly were in place uh, because there's no way to access that until you install the GNOME Tweak tool. So upon installing the GNOME Tweak tool, there were, I think, five uh, Zorin extensions. They were they they were uh, listed there. Zorin such and such extension. Zorin such and such extension. You know, on right. down the line there, which was surprising. And then you were able to go in and actually see from a theme standpoint what they had in place as well. So it kind of opened up a little bit of a back door, if you will, as to you know what all they had in place there. A good back door, Rob, not a bad back door. Correct. That's correct. <laughs> and then uh, so moving on down the list, we've got Linux Lite 3.4, and that's a beta release. And uh, Sudo Reboot has a video on that if you're interested in checking that out. I know well, that's very, po- very popular. Yep. Have you... Um, I had been told by a couple people that Linux Lite should be on the list for New Year users. I have never tried it. I mean, what do you think? Uh, I would agree with that. I, I tried it uh, for a short period of time, and it was you know one of my weeks where I probably tried five different distros in a week, um, and Linux Lite was one of them, and I was impressed with it. And I, I would say, yeah, I'd say that's fair. I don't know what you're talking about, five different distros in a week. But. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's crazy talk, isn't it? That is. Who would do such a thing? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then so with Linux Lite and then moving on down the line, I told you we had a lot going on in distro. Watch. You've got Black Arch Linux uh, 2017.0.03.01. Uh, that's a distro I haven't tried. What about you, Rocco? I have not tried it. There's a lot of distros out there that I haven't tried. I mean, there's just there's a ton of them out there. And, you know, I usually stick to KDE-based distros, and that's usually what I'm doing if I'm doing anything on my channel. So, Yep. And then final on the list, and we heard about this, and it's finally happened. So Arch Linux 2017.03.01 is now available for download, and they have dropped 32-bit support. So uh, that is official. Where's the TAPS music when we need it? I know, man. I know. <laughs> you know, that's a trend. I mean, a lot of people are upset over that. And, you know, I see both sides to it, man. You know, I've got hardware that supports 64-bit. So, you know, that side of me is like, okay, what's the big deal, you know? But, 
man, you still got people out there with old hardware, 32 bit hardware. And, you know, I got to say, man, if I was running Arch Linux, I'd be ticked. Well, there's a lot of people out there that run Arch Linux, like run a light distro or a light desktop environment on Arch for older equipment to get the most out of it, you know, to get that extra little zip out of yeah. it that they can because it is older and it can't handle newer desktop environments. So, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be upset about it. But, I mean, I don't know that there's much that's going to get done about it. There was talk about people say, you know, say, well, maybe they'll, uh, you know, someone will take it over and add the 32-bit support back in. But for right now, it's gone, man. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we've heard both sides, and you've heard people say, hey, it's just time to move on, really. You know, that's that's yep. what you hear. So so that's about it for the uh, DistroWatch lineup. Well, Rob, when you listen to a podcast, what app do you use most? All right, Rocco, you got to fill me in, man. I'm sorry. I'm a little slow. Exactly what now? A podcast. I'm not sure what that is, buddy. It's not for peas, okay? It's not peas, all right? It's a podcast. And I think that I'm pronouncing that right. That's an easy one. I'm playing around. I'm (laughs) playing around. You know it. Now, listen, absolutely my favorite hands-down Android app for podcast is Pocket Cast. And I've used Pocket Cast for a couple of years now. I've got the uh, paid version, whatever that is. I don't even remember what it cost uh i think whatever it is it's well worth it let me tell you and uh what was it rocco a couple months back you were using another podcast app and i told you about pocket cast i was using one of the free apps in the uh, play store and you had said to me about pocket cast i'm like well you know i don't want to pay for another app Uh, and i'll tell you what it was the best three ninety nine that I ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It has so, so many features, though. So tell us about them, Rob. Yeah, so I was just going to say, you've probably got at least one standout feature that you know that you use all the time. And for me, one of the standout features is, um, and I'll, I'll kind of, I guess I'll get into this. So one of the things I enjoy doing when I travel is... Uh, to help me go to sleep is I will listen to a podcast. So that way, you know, in a hotel room, when you're in a hotel room and you turn on the TV, it just fills the entire room with that blue light. Right. Right. And so it's just that, that makes it difficult for me to fall asleep, but I can turn a podcast on and I know that I'm only going to be good for about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, you know, if I've had too much caffeine. <laughs> and and so I'll turn the podcast on. The room will be completely dark. And, I, you know, that just puts me right out. But here's the thing, right? So I don't want to play through that podcast because um, if I do, then it shows up as unplayed. And if I haven't got – and sometimes I don't – remember to set the setting. So, um, what my favorite part of pocket cast is, is I can set a timer. It's basically a sleep timer so that the podcast will pay play for say 30 minutes and then stop. So that way, that way the next day, let's say I'm driving somewhere, I can pick up right where I left off. And if I did fall asleep before it actually ended, I only have to back up, you know, just a few, few spaces 
to get right back where I left off the night before on the podcast. Well, I think it's a, I mean, like I said, I was using one of the free ones and hands down, it's 10 times better than the free one. This is one of those things where, you know, the free versions are not always the best option. And right. I would suggest to anybody that's listening to a podcast, I don't know, like this one, <laughs> yeah, that's to, right. uh, to get Pocket Cast. I mean, it'll pick up any kind of, you know, podcast RSS feed. It stores them on your phone. You're able to set the settings to have it download only on Wi-Fi. Uh, multitude of settings inside for the appearance, uh, light and dark themes. As soon as, it's get, as soon as it gets played, it deletes off of your phone. Uh, right. Just tons and tons of settings that go with it. And that is why, Rob, it is our Android app pick of the week. Absolutely. You laid it out. I want to add one other thing to it as well. So I think for whatever whatever resource they are pulling in, RSS feeds or whatever, however they're set up, I think that they have the best discovery of any podcast app out there as well. Um, you know, if someone tells you about an obscure podcast that you've never heard of, um, you know, you can go right into the app and search. And if it's available anywhere, it's going to show up within Pocket Cast. Yep. So, so that's an excellent feature. The other thing I like is once you've set your account up and you've got all of your podcast uh, synchronized and all set up, uh, if you're a ROM hopper like myself and, um, you know, you're having to reinstall Pocket Cast. Once you sign in with your account, everything just pulls right back in. You don't lose a thing. You don't have to go back and research and reset up all of your uh, podcasts. So that's an awesome feature. Uh, you can also set the the rewind and fast forward seconds to whatever you want it to be. So the default comes yeah. as uh, 30 seconds ahead and 10 seconds behind, but you can set that to whatever amount of seconds that you want, which is also a nice feature. It really is. And then this the whole interaction. Um, so once you launch into a podcast, you can like slide. Um, let's see. I think it's actually, I'm going to launch in while I'm doing this, man. We're doing this live, Rocco. This is real. It's a live so recording. <laughs> You're going to get a short description of the show notes, and then if you slide down, let me see, let me make sure if you're actually playing it, uh, it'll pull in images uh, if there are images that can, you know, that are available uh, along with the show notes. Uh, so you'll see the description about that particular episode, um, and it, you know, so just absolutely full featured. Yep. One of the best Android apps around. All right, my friend. I think right. we covered that one. All right, brother. We are off to the YouTube corner. All right, the YouTube corner. Well, all right. I'm, I wasn't going to say it, but I am going to say it because I'm hoping Sudo is listening. Uh, we missed you, buddy. Uh, not sure what happened, but we want to try to get you back on for sure. Uh, that was our plan, was to have our friend Sudo reboot over in the YouTube corner. And uh, maybe we can get him next episode. Maybe, but we have a we have a question or a thought, Rob, from uh, Keith, and he would like to let us know that he's been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. That he wants to know um, what our thoughts on are on UIs for touch friendly distributions. So making a desktop more UI, more touch-friendly. All right. In a word, I'm going to say Unity. 
<laughs> well, well, he's got now. Keith has a point. If you think about it, Rocco. Uh, so I recently bought a new laptop for my daughter, and um, so we're shopping around. I'm online and I'm looking. And if you buy something with decent hardware today, and something that's got you know decent high resolution monitor to it chances are it's going to be touch friendly yep and most of the desktops are built for mouse and keyboard and that's they're right not designed to be for a touch interface that's so right what do you do what do you do do you uh do you pick a distribution that has the most touch friendly use or or how do you work that when you install? I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna leave Windows on that laptop, are you? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely so what not. What do you pick then to that would be the most touch <clears throat> face touch user interface friendly? Well, if I were to guess, first of all, I'm gonna back up. I, I do want to answer your question, but I want to back up to, to something. If I were to guess, I would say that the majority of Linux users are desktop users. Yep. Would you, would you agree? Yep. And, you know, I, I don't know why that is in particular. It, it's maybe it's because, um, you know, it's just our nature that, that, you know, we wind up being desktop users. But I think what's happening is that with Ubuntu and with unity trying to serve both. And now you see the gnome desktop, which, in many ways tries to serve both. I think when you try to do that, you know, it's like you're a jack of all trades, but master of none kind of thing. I happen to agree. Um, I don't think that, I don't think there's a middle road that you can go down and have one or you you either got to have one or the other. You can't be both because you're going to lose the people that, if you go towards, you know, touch-friendly, you're going to lose the desktop, mouse, and keyboard users because, you know, not everybody wants their icons, you know, like 100 and, you know, 164 <laughs> right. pixel. You know what I mean? So right. you're going to lose some of the keyboard and uh, mouse users. But if you don't add something in there to help the touch interface, then you're you're also going to lose people. So... I don't know what the uh, answer to it is, but there is no happy medium right now. Yeah, I just don't see it either, Rocco. And in fact, oh gosh, several months ago, I decided that I wanted to, and I've got a, a Dell laptop with a touch screen, and the screen will swivel all the way around, and basically you're holding a tablet at that point. Um, and so I decided to kind of go through an experiment and figure out which desktop UI was best suited for touch. And so I installed Ubuntu proper with Unity on there. And I installed uh, KDE. Uh, I forget exactly what the OS was, but I had KDE on there as the desktop. And at the end of the day, I know you're going to be surprised by this. Because there are so many settings within KDE that you can tweak so many things, I was actually able to get KDE set up to be a better touch interface UI than Ubuntu Unity. Well, I'm not surprised by that because um, I was gonna, I was just gonna ask you if you ever tried a Plasma desktop on one of your touch, because yep. it seems to me that that would be, I mean, 
you know, of course I'm a KD fan, okay? But it seems to me that KDE would be the best choice just because of the amount of settings that you have and the ways that you can customize it um, and the fact that it it also looks awesome to begin with. And, oh, yeah. Um, I just think that that's the best the best way to go right at the moment. It's still not perfect, but, you know, you they were, uh, we talked before about uh, the Plasma Mobile, where they're trying to get it to uh, run on, you know, mobile phones. And right. they're, they're doing, to me, they're doing the best job at the moment of walking the line between touch and desktop and keyboard. Well, yeah, I, I think they are, but here's, I guess here's my hang up about it. I, I wish in a way that, and I know it's more work and it's easy for me to just, you know, sit here and talk about it because uh, I'm not the one having to do the uh, development. But I wish they would separate the two. I really do. Uh, it's like I wish they had a version that said, okay, if you're running a touch interface and that's what you're after, here's our, um, you know, and I'll just use an, as an example um, Linux Mint Touch. Um, you know what I'm saying? Here's Linux Mint Desktop. But if you're running something that you use in a touch-friendly way, here's Linux Mint Touch. Rob, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't know what could go wrong with trying to combine the two. I mean, <laughs> Windows 8 did it, right? And everybody uh, loved Windows 8. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I agree, though, that uh, it's it's not there. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, Plasma, I think, is the best option at the moment. So... Well, we'll have to see where it goes. I'm, I'm running GNOME right now, and I, I remember you saying you had no issues. In fact, you had gotten used to uh, the full screen uh, app launcher with the oversized icons. <laughs> it the definitely has some oversized icons on it, I can the, tell you that. The touch-friendly icons. But that's exactly what I use. Well, and you'd gotten used to that, and I think you liked it, and to each his own there. I'm just saying, for me, it was something that I'm like, this doesn't need to be here. I don't need this. I'm using this as a desktop, and so I've completely ignored it, and with adding extensions and everything within GNOME, um, I don't have to go to that. And, in fact, I removed the app launcher button out of the dock in the bottom through um, the settings within Dash to Dock, and now I'm running GNOME completely as a desktop interface. Um, now, I could change that and switch that if I ever decided to take my laptop and use it as a tablet. It would be an easy switch. But, you know, in all honesty, I think maybe during that testing phase for figuring out what was going to be friendly to touch was about one of the only times I've ever used that laptop as a tablet. Well, I definitely think that the uh, full screen launcher would be best for the for the touch interface, but the icons are absolutely huge, dude. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm more of a keyboard user, so right. I mean, I hit the meta key, it you know, opens up instantly. I start typing, and I'm usually using the arrow keys to get to where I'm going as far as opening the apps and whatnot. So it's I definitely got used to it and. I'm probably going to be switching back to KDE soon, very soon, um, and I will miss that. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got another question for you, kind of on the same subject, I guess. Um, are there any th- – and, and, 
you know, we've talked about a lot as, as far as Linux and desktops, and you and I have discussions on things all the time. And we talk, we'd hit a little bit earlier, Rocco, on games. And I'm always trying to think about what, you know, what could you do to really make Linux more appealing to users? And, you know, this touch interface, uh, touch UI and the touch interface, that brings up some thoughts, too, about the fact that you've got people who, you know, they've used tablets, they're used to certain games, you've got desktop users on Windows who are playing games through Windows. Do you think all of the stuff that we've been talking about, Touch UI, all these other things, do you think we have to add that in? I mean, for example, for Linux to be successful, do you think that it is an absolute must that more games come to Linux? Do you think it's an absolute must that we incorporate this Touch UI and things like that? Or could we take a step back and just say, no, you know what? Linux is best for desktop users, and let's make that the best experience we can. Um, you know, if people want to add modules for gaming, maybe we do that. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I, get, I see what you're getting at. Um, I, I guess if you want to look at it in sole numbers, you definitely need to add support for games. If, you want, if you're just looking for sole numbers and, and that alone. Because... You know, I mean, what we're excited about the uh, share. What is the share now? What four or five percent of users yeah. out there using Linux? So, right. I mean, we're excited about that, but that's like nothing. You know, nothing. as far as yeah. the total number is concerned. So, there are multitudes of people that wouldn't even consider trying Linux just because of the fact that it can't support games, or you know, and, and I don't think the touch user interface is uh, as big as an issue. But I think definitely because you look at the people that are actually playing the games and they're they're the uh, younger generation yeah. and they're they're the people that are actually going to maybe switch over to Linux and contribute to Linux maybe and right. and the actual multitudes out there. Now, I'm not saying that uh, it's not for anybody over a certain age and and not a gamer i'm just saying that the uh the multitudes of people that are out there uh are the younger generation that are playing games and i think that if we could just open that door that would bring i mean you figure how many i don't know about you but i countless times i have talked to people who won't switch to linux and i'll just use myself i still dull boot a windows uh partition uh, on a separate drive just so I can play certain video games. And I think, like I said, that's just going to, if we would, I know that it's a big hill to climb and it's only going to happen through continued effort. And it's all about the money. Obviously it's all about the game makers making it possible for games to be brought to Linux. And it's like that snowball effect. You don't have anybody playing the games on Linux because they're not available on Linux, but they're not going to make the games on Linux until people actually buy them on Linux. So it's like a... It's like chicken a, or egg. Yeah, yeah, chicken or the egg. It's just a, a whole circle. So, Well, I, I don't know your complaint on the gaming side for Linux, man. I mean, I load up Solitaire and it just... It's great <laughs> on Linux. And when I play chess on Linux, man, I mean, you want to talk about smooth gameplay there. My refresh rates, my... Your uh, FPS, FPS is high on the... Oh, my goodness, man. When I slide the queen up 
man, it's smooth as silk. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> you probably get like, I don't know, 150 FPS on that, huh? Oh, it's, it's insane, man. I can spin that chessboard around so fast. Mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I think we do. We, I think you're right. It's the chicken and the egg. Uh, we hear it enough, and we were talking about it earlier, of course. Uh, game support, I think, would be a biggie. More desktop or more touch UI friendly desktop. I really think that th- that is something. I think you would agree with me that we've seen people go down that road and try to combine both and make it work um, within one desktop environment. And I guess I'm going to say, how hard would it be to separate it out and have a little more fragmentation in Linux? That's what we could use, right? More fragmentation in Linux? We could definitely use some more fragmentation. So <laughs> <all> I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm sure many people would argue with that. Why have one other desktop variant, you know, like we need another one? Um, but to me, that seems like a, a good solution, and maybe it would allow you to really go full bore with the touch side of things, and then you know, on the same token, go full bore on the desktop side of things. Well, in order for that to happen, it would have to come from an entity that has a lot of resources, because yeah. you're talking splitting the whole operating system up into, and then having people work on specific things because obviously you're not going to have people work on both and uh it you know canonical tried it and just it wasn't working out for him so i don't know if that's actually going to be possible to be honest with you i just don't know if it's going to be possible well we'll you know time will tell like everything else time will tell but then you've got the uh whole convergence thing Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've talked about that, of course. And so now you're talking about adding a whole nother layer to it. I think the way I understand it working in order to make that a smooth transition, say, from your phone uh, so that you can use that as more of a desktop. So that whole aspect is going to be interesting. Well, that's why you would. I mean, that's the only reason to me why you would make the touch interface more available, because if you're just making it for laptop users, uh, that's a very small portion uh, of people. But if you're making it for laptops and phones, uh, then then that opens it up to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Well, that'll be a subject to uh, just kind of, I think, keep our eyes on for the years to come to see how all of that transitions, Rocco. Well, it definitely is something to look at, and uh, hopefully they'll, you know, think of something, and they always do. So, Rocco, have you ever lost any data uh, when you were uh, going from one distro to another? That's a ridiculous question, Rob. <laughs> of course <laughs> I've lost data from one distro to the other. <laughs> so, so how do you do that? How do you handle that? How do you switch distros and maintain all of your data without having to say back up to a USB drive or something like that. Well, you, I usually like put my face in my palms and just give up and say, That's it. <laughs> <Done."> <laughs> well, no, uh, one of the ways that I do that is by, and you'll know, you'll remember a couple of weeks back I had, uh, issues with, um, losing data. But anyway, one of the uh, ways I do that is by creating a second partition. And when I install 
any operating system, any Linux distro, I will separate the root partition from the home partition. So I have a 500 gigabyte solid state drive, and I usually make the root partition 25 to 30 gigabytes, depending. And uh, the rest of the drive itself will be partitioned for the home folder itself. And that will hold all of the data. So when you go to install something, or when you go to install, say, Ubuntu, you would people actually install Ubuntu? when you go to install ubuntu um there's options to just install right over the hard drive that you have or there's always at the bottom there's a something else option and that's what i end up doing and what it allows you to do is it allows you to create the partitions and then point what i'll end up doing is once i install something and that partition is created now i can if I have problems with the operating system or maybe I want to switch to another environment or another uh, distro, I will install that and do the something else option. And then I will um, have it format the root partition, but I will have it point to the home partition in the installer so, uh-huh. that, it a- so that it doesn't format it, but it actually just tells it this is where the home folder resides. And once that done, you go, just go through the installer just like any other way. And once it's done, the only thing that you have to do is actually install your programs. Because all your data, all your settings, everything is all there. Because it's still all saved in your home folder. So it nice. makes it a whole lot easier when you're... Now, it doesn't always work out. I mean, there's, you know, downsides to it. I mean, you can't just go from, say, a GNOME install and then switch to KDE and expect everything to work properly because they all have different libraries they use and different versions of things. So it doesn't always work out perfect, but for the most part, um, like say I'm switching from, you know, Manjaro GNOME to Intergos GNOME. Um, It should be no problem to install Intergos to the root partition and point it the home folder to my home partition and all of my data saved, all of my documents, all of my settings. So the desktop basically boots up looking exactly the way I had it before I installed it. And all I have to do is install the programs to the root drive. Very nice, Rocco. I, um, unlike you, I don't go through and set that up, but now you've got me thinking that's really something that I need to consider doing um, you know, typically I've got everything uh, in the cloud and I use InSync. And so sometimes I've gotten just completely lazy and I don't even think about it. But there's times when I have forgotten to take uh, something out of, say, the home folder and slide it over into the sync folder. And I've, you know, I've messed up. So, yep. so, you know, so, so I think that setup might be, I need to take the time and get it set up that way, I think. Well, when I said before that I had problems and I lost data, it wasn't because of this setup. It was the fact that I didn't sync my home partition to my backup drive and I ended up getting it fragmented. But this, mm-hmm. this is the way I have run a setup for, I mean, for, for a couple of years now. And I actually, um, what I'm on running right now is Ubuntu GNOME, and this is the first uh, install in probably a couple of years that I did not separate the home partition. And I'm so upset because I wanted to make, I wanted to try it with the whole, 
with just to see if it was easier and and it, oh yeah it was easier on the install but i i definitely wish i would have kept the home partition and i will be installing a different operating system tonight i believe wow wow <laughs> okay we'll have to hear more about that and well uh, i'm going to leave it as a, a separate partition I think it's an excellent tip, Rocco, and I appreciate you sharing all of that, how you've got that all set up. And I'm going to throw out another tip here, and uh, this is one that I'm going to tell on myself. Um, yeah, Yeah, I'm not proud of this one, okay, but I'm going to share it anyway because I don't want it to happen to anybody else. So, uh, doing what we do, uh, you know, there have been days where I've burnt multiple distros in one day, and, you know, you're you're popping in the USB drives and popping them out, and sometimes... Maybe you're not really paying attention to details in your haste, right? So it's here's never happened to me, should, Rob. Yeah. Never. So, so boys and girls, this is something you should never do. I had one of my backup USB drives plugged in to the computer, and I popped in my USB drive. Uh oh. And I went to grab the ISO and bring that over to burn. Mm-hmm. And guess what I did. I can only imagine, Rob. I you, burnt that ISO to a 250-gig backup drive. Ow. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> because I got in a hurry, and I had to do something else, and I wasn't paying attention. And, yes, I absolutely wiped backup data that way. Wow. Do you have so, a second backup somewhere? Or? Luckily, there is a little thing called the cloud. And oh, yeah, 90, I remember well. <laughs> 98% of that info was in the cloud. But I say that uh, to everyone because, listen, it can happen to anybody. And so just a little tip. If you've got a backup drive and you're burning ISOs, unplug your backup drive <laughs> and save yourself some headache. Because you know what? Even though I knew I had most of it somewhere else, it gave me, like, the worst feeling. I mean, it was like a punch in the gut, Rocco. Yep. It so was a terrible, terrible What did you use, what did you use to burn it? Uh, I don't remember if I was using the – it might have been Etcher, or it may have been, at the time, Seuss ImageWriter. Well, I'm, I was going to say, because when you open up Etcher, it automatically grabs yes. the flash drive and goes right to the ISO. So. I don't yes. know if that happened or not, but yeah. I just don't recall if it, yeah, make sure. And, and again, so now I've like learned my lesson. And now every time I look at my backup drive and I'm, I'm like, you, you know, palm to face, you know, got the big <laughs> L, I got the big L sign. Every time I look at my backup USB drive, like, you know, man, how could you do that? How long is so, it going to take you to download all that from the cloud and rewrite it to the USB? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm just going to keep a lot of it in the cloud, but. Uh, but you know what? I mean, we're all human and, and man, I make stupid mistakes like that all the time, Rocco. And I just wanted to share that with everyone just because I know that if I did it that easy, um, then maybe someone else just hearing this, it'll save them some heartache and, and, you know, they won't walk around with a big L on their head like I had for a week. It so. happens to the best of us, Ron. It does. It really does. I mean, you would think, you know, oh, well, you've been running Linux for a long time. You've been installing yep. millions of distros. Uh, it, it should never happen, but it happens. You're busy. It happens. You're not thinking, yep. and it just happens. Mistakes happen. 
Yep, they can happen fast. So, well, Rocco, I also want to bring up our Telegram group, and um, I'm going to just uh, say that I appreciate the um, new members, people who have joined up, and I myself have not been in that group as much as I'd like to, uh, but I do appreciate people popping in and helping one another. Um, lots of good tips and things like that there. And I think people are making friends and it's awesome to see that. I wish I was in the group more, spending more time getting to know, um, you know, viewers and listeners. Uh, but I do want to just say, Hey, join up and we'll look for you there every chance we get. Yep. It's a good way to, uh, have a conversation and also, you know, to get a little technical help. Like you said, uh, there's a lot of people in there. There's not a lot of people in there. There's a lot of people, the people that are in there, the most of them are very helpful in helping people, no matter what skill level set you have. So it's definitely something to, uh, to join and, uh, join in the conversation. Yep, and for those of you listening on the Destination Linux YouTube channel, we will have the link to the Telegram group uh, for you there in the show notes. And hey, Rocco, at last count, we were up to 29. So uh, w- once we're done with the podcast, we'll have to hop over and see if we hit the big 30 mark. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, like uh, Ubuntu podcast and Late Night Linux, I think they they have like 200 and... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Oh, and Rocco, you know one thing, that uh, when it gets busy in there, there is a mute. You can mute uh, the notifications. For those of you not aware of it and you get frustrated by uh, the alerts coming in, because if you get, you know, four or five people chatting back and forth, uh, man, your phone could be going off all night. So uh, there is a mute function that you can set a time for. So you can set it to, you know, mute permanently or for a few hours. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out to you. Yeah, it's definitely something that you, you should do. Um, and one thing I also do is, you know, one of the rules of most telegram groups is you don't, you mute notifications and you don't scroll back. Cause I mean, there's times where there's, you know, I'll go, I'll leave the group and, and I'll come back and there's like, I don't know, 200 and some messages to go through. But uh, when you do find a message that you want to hold on to, you can always forward it to yourself. And that sounds crazy, but you can forward it to yourself in Telegram so that you can have it later to look at. So if there's something you want to look at, forward it, and then you can just continue on scrolling to the newer messages. Nice Telegram tip. All right, Rob. Well, I think we have reached our final destination for this episode. Wow. Yeah. Flying by. Just like it was yesterday. (laughs) So um, don't forget to check us out in the Telegram group and email us at comments at destinationlinux.tech. And we thank you all for listening. Be safe and tune in next week when we will continue our journey to Destination Destination Linux. Linux. Thanks, Rocco.